Before I introduce this amazing pioneering guest, I just want to mention that there's an incredibly powerful poem that is posted the same day of this podcast. It's a channel, a loving message from the mother to all of us. And it would really mean a lot if you guys checked it out. So go to my IGTV or go to YouTube where it will be featured on the channel. Dr. Richard Schwartz, PhD, is the founder of Internal Family Systems, which is an incredibly powerful psychotherapy system that allows you to bring back into reconciliation parts of yourself that may have been fractured due to trauma. And as you'll see on this podcast, he leads me through one of these practices and it's incredibly emotional, vulnerable, and powerful. This is an amazing tool and I think you guys will find it incredibly helpful. So enjoy this podcast with Dr. Dick Schwartz. But before we get started, a word from our sponsors. First up, we have Worldview. You've probably heard me talk about Worldview because it's one of the most exciting things on the horizon. Actually, it's literally on the horizon. These are helium balloons taking you up in a capsule to the stratosphere where you can live stream your experience and shit on everybody who still believes in flat earth. But that's actually not the real reason to do it. You're going to get to see the world from a really different perspective. You're going to get to rediscover Earth and Earth without the borders, without the lines that are drawn in the sand that say, this is mine, this is yours. To see everything as one home, one organism with many cells, and also look up to the sky from 120,000 feet in the stratosphere, the curvature of the Earth that's outlined by the black of space and then look up at the stars through telescopes and look down at some of the great sights of the world. It's gonna be really an amazingly transformative experience. For those of us who are fortunate enough to be able to get tickets to go up into the stratosphere, it's gonna be a wildly transformative experience. And then for those of us who are just gonna get to see the content, to watch people's experiences and to live through the eyes and the cameras of those that are having this, I just can't wait until this technology is available. And this will be sometime in 2023. Reservations are going fast. So if you're curious about what that looks like, go to thewholeworldview.com. Check it out. They have some amazing renderings. They've done over 100 test flights. You can listen to my past podcasts with Alan Stern if you want to understand a bit more about what they have to offer but I'm just really honored to be a part of this company and to be able to tell you guys about it. And I'm gonna be even more honored to be able to have that perspective shifting view of the world from the stratosphere. So once again, go to thewholeworldview.com to check it out and see what it's all about. Next up is the cold plunge. I just got out of this cold plunge with Kyle Kingsbury. We went in the sauna and then we jumped in the cold plunge. It's such a game changer. For those of you who haven't, done the cold plunge work i just can't encourage anything more it's something that's going to give you a state shift it's something that's going to provide that stress which is going to help you create that adaptation and the adaptations that it creates are absolutely phenomenal so i feel more clear-headed more at peace more comfortable right now in this moment than i did all day and if i didn't do that cold plunge i wouldn't be near where I'm at right now. And there is no better cold plunge that I've seen than the one provided by the cold plunge. It's sexy, it looks like a modern bathtub. It's got ozone and UV filtration. It has a steady circulation and you can keep it locked in at that cold temperature. It's literally everything you need. 
and it's really easy to install as well. So check it out. Go to thecoldplunge.com slash pages slash amp for $111 off. Once again, thecoldplunge.com slash pages slash amp for $111 off. And finally, we have Onnit. And what I want to talk to you about with Onnit today is just how much I've been loving Alpha Brain Instant lately. So typically, I've just been using Alpha Brain Instant for podcasts and for special events, but I've been finding myself realizing that my entire day is better when I take Alpha Brain. And I used to think like, oh, maybe it's because I had a podcast and that energized me. And then I finally realized like, well, yeah, the podcast was great because I had a very focused conversation. But it's also the fact that that's what got me taking Alpha Brain Instant that day. And that is actually making a significant difference. And look, I should have probably recognized this a little bit earlier. You know, I mean, shit, I was a major part of inventing Alpha Brain. You know, like for me not to even really realize what a significant difference it's making for me overall, even when I don't have something important, it was pretty powerful for me to recognize that this is now something I don't do it every single day. But it's not just on days where I have podcasts and recordings and important writing stretches. I'm using it more frequently and I'm really enjoying just how it's making me feel overall, period. Just my brain seems to fire better. I have more energy. That person that texts me, I'm more likely to text them back because I have that energy and make those calls that I, in between the things, I just, I just feel more alive, more alert. It's helping my mood, you know, in interesting, positive ways as well. And, uh, so this is kind of a rediscovery of something for me that I've been familiar with for shit, almost 11 years now. And just thought I would share that. Also, the Alpha Brain Instant flavors are bomb and there's so many of them now. So keep a lookout for that. Go to onnit.com slash Aubrey if you're interested in checking out Alpha Brain Instant and saving 10% off of everything. Once again, onnit.com slash Aubrey. And now an uninterrupted podcast with Dr. Richard Schwartz. Dick, let's dive right into this. So we're all aware that the psyche is one of the most complex mechanisms perhaps that exists, period. I mean, there's a lot of complex machines, you know, like who actually knows how, uh, you know, how a CD player used to work. And that's 10-year-old technology, right? Like, I don't know how that works. Most of us don't. But if we had any idea of trying to figure it out, trying to explain what it is, we have to take the thing that's whole, just like our psyche, and break it into the parts and then start to understand the parts. And then, of course, reassemble the parts if things aren't working in the way that's most desirable. Reassemble the parts back together in a way that fits with a little bit more awareness and a little bit more understanding. And that's what IFS has done. It's allowed a map to break apart this incredibly complex thing of the human mind, the human psyche, human self, if you will, and to help us understand so that we can understand ourselves, know thyself, that classic, classic wisdom. So why don't you go ahead and explain not only the what IFS is actually doing, but the need from from your perspective, and then go into these the map itself. Okay, yeah. Um and uh, it's an honor to be, I'm honored by your interest, Aubrey, I'm a fan. So, um, yeah, I wouldn't phrase it exactly like you did, of breaking apart the psyche to, to, basically, I'm inviting people to go in and witness their psyche, basically, and find, and, and they will find, and people have been doing this now for a long time, that the psyche contains these, what I call parts, other people call them subpersonalities or other terms, 
and my take on it is after you know now 40 years of studying and basically learning from my clients i didn't this didn't come out of my pea brain it's it's something that i i'm a good scientist basically and i empirically studied the psyches of many of my clients and they talked about these parts and would say things like there's this critic inside and then that triggers this really young vulnerable one and then that triggers the binging part and so on and in getting to know them i ultimately concluded that like the title of this book there are no bad ones that actually it's the nature of the mind to have them to be subdivided that way they're all there to help us in our lives and they all bring qualities that we can use and uh and enhance to enhance our lives but trauma and what are called attachment injuries, so bad parenting, force them out of their naturally valuable states into roles that they don't like, but they think are necessary to keep us safe a lot of the time because their traumas freeze them in the past during the trauma. Most of them think we're still six years old and, and they have to guard us this way. And they inject into them what I'm gonna call burdens, which are extreme beliefs and emotions that came into us from the trauma and attached to these parts, almost like a virus, and then drive the way they operate thereafter, like the coronavirus. And so what I found was, if it's possible for a client to get to know a part, learn about its positive intention, even, even if what it's doing is destructive, and learn about what it's protecting, and we can go and heal that part, get it out the one it's protecting, get it out of where it's stuck in the past and unburden it. Then the protector can relax and do something entirely different, do what it's designed to do. So in that sense, it is quite non-pathologizing. There's no bad parts, even though many, many parts have been pathologized or been demonized both by the culture and by uh, psychotherapy. Mm -hmm. One thing that I've noticed, you mentioned the critic, and one thing that I've noticed myself and a lot of the people that I coach in the Fit for Service Fellowship is that people have developed a critic that's just a little bit harsher than the harshest critic they've experienced in their life. And this has a purpose, of course, because if your internal critic, the one that punishes you internally with the, by the withdrawal of love, is harsher than the one that you're going to face externally, well, that, our psyche thinks, is going to keep us in line right? Like that's going to prevent us from being subject to the punishment uh, on the external. And of course, for me, that was my father. For everyone else, it's, it's somebody that, but you can really understand that your, your own judge that doles out, the, doles out the punishment and judges you is just going to be a little bit harsher than what you've experienced in your ordinary life. But that's not a state that we want to live in because of course, I'm you know, 25 years from living in my father's house and I'm well past that. I don't need to carry that anymore. So talk a little bit about that particular, you know, my example here and, and that part and, uh, and how we start to work with it. Yeah, that's a great example of one of the things I'm talking about because if I were to have you focus on that critic and find it in your body and it's likely you'd find it in your head or around your head and ask some questions like, you know, why do you call me names all day? And, and wait for the answer to come. Don't think of the answer, just wait and see what comes back to you. 
you would learn that it's trying to preempt the criticism of your father. And if it, if it does it first, then it won't be so bad when it happens. Or if it does it enough, you won't do the things that bothered your father when you were a kid. And then I would say, okay, now how do you feel toward it? Because initially, most people, when I have you focus on it to begin with, I ask, how do you feel toward it? I'll say, I hate it. It drives me crazy. Mm. Or I depend on it. I, I, I need it for my super performance. <clears throat> but if I get those parts to step back and just get have you get curious about it, you'll learn that that's its positive intention. And then you can show it appreciation rather than you know, fight back. And as these parts feel appreciated, they tend to soften a lot. Mm. And then we could negotiate with your critic permission to go to the parts it protects, which would be you as a boy who was suffering when your father, you know, was so critical. And, and get that boy out of where he's stuck back there. Let's uh, let's just use me as a case example because I think this is one of the this is one of the great ways to learn. So if you're asking me the question, and of course I've done a bit of work around this, but let's let's open it up. There's always more work to do. There's always deeper levels. So you asked me, you would ask me the question of where do I where do I feel it in in my in my body? Yeah. And actually, when you said that, I could say that it was right here. Um, kind of where my clavicles meet right underneath my throat. Mm -hmm. And I think maybe one of the reasons for that is I was always getting in trouble for things that I was saying. So it was connected to my throat, right? So I feel that I feel that energy here. So let's take it from let's take it from that part of um, that section. So how do you feel toward that part as you notice it there? I feel um, I feel that it's created a lot of sadness and it's created a lot of suffering, and you know, of course, I understand what it what it's been doing, but it's uh, it's hard. It's hard to acknowledge how much I've suffered because of it. Okay, so I totally get that, but we are going to ask the parts that feel so upset at it for creating the suffering to give us just a little space for now, to just get to know it better. And, and we'll check in with them later, but see if they'd be willing to go into a kind of waiting room in there or something until we're mm. done. Okay, yeah. And then focus here again and tell me how you feel toward it now. There's a neutrality to how I feel towards it. It's just now like observing, it's like observing um, kind of a sharper, a sharp object, an object that has like a sticker burr that's been, uh, that's there, but I don't have any judgment towards it. I just am aware that it's, uh, that it's there and I feel like I can look at it uh, objectively. Good. And do you feel open to getting to know it? Yeah. Okay. I do. So just ask it what it wants you to know and don't think of the answer. Just wait and see what comes from there. And if nothing comes, that's okay. What does it want you to know about itself? I'm trying to help you. Okay. And ask it more about that. How's it trying to help you? It's trying to guide me towards actions that will 
put me in a position where I'm loved by the father mostly. And it's not just my father, but the father. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense to you, Aubrey? It does. Yeah. So let it know that that makes sense. Yeah. And how do you feel toward it now as you get that? There's starting to be a, a small bud, a growing feeling of gratitude towards it. Yeah. So if you can just give it that small bud, just let it know you get it's trying really hard to help in that way. Mm. And just see how it reacts to that gratitude. I can almost visualize it um, flourishing with a little bit of light. Like it's, it's instead of being hard and calcified, it's now like breathing. It has almost life force energy into it, energy that almost gives it the potential to grow, transform, alchemize it. It's alive. Mm -hmm. That's great. So ask it if we could go to the part that it's been trying to get this love for from your father and, and, and the father, mm -hmm. and we could help that one so that it didn't need that love quite as much from that, that place, would it have to work so hard inside? Yeah, it's serving, uh, it's serving a, a happy little boy, a boy that likes to laugh, that likes to make jokes, is inherently a bit of a rascal, but is always full of love and enjoy yeah so ask again if we could go to that boy and help him so he didn't feel such need for the love because he could get that love from you would this part have to work so hard and be so critical no that part could grow its own sprouts and instead of becoming this sticker burr seed it could germinate and and assimilate back into my body um i could just see that like that seed that had all the sharp little edges it could just expand and and grow and sprout leaves and and become a part of me great so then ask it if it would give us permission to go to that boy and help him yeah all right aubrey so Focus on that boy and find him in your body, around, the, around your body. He's right above, right at my solar plexus, right before it connects to my sternum. Okay, good. And how do you feel toward him as you notice him there? I feel like I don't know him as well as I'd like to know him. Okay. All right, so let him know you'd like to get to know him better and just see what he wants you to know about himself. He says, I am you. Right. How's that feel to hear? Feels good. I mean, a huge smile, a huge smile is on my face right now, you know, to just recognize that that joyous boy is still me. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. And anything else he wants you to know about and and it, ask him if it's true that he craves your father or the father's, you know, love. Yeah, he he does. 
um, he says actually more than anything. Um, and I think there's a there's an awareness that I've received the love that I'm looking for from the feminine, but uh, what he's been lacking is the love from the masculine, the, the father. Okay. So let him know you get that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you do see him, Aubrey, or you just sense him in there? What would I be looking for? Would I be looking for an anthropomorphized, like a little version of me or, or a shape or an image? Like I saw. No, I don't want you to look. I'm just asking if you see him or just sense him. It's a sensing more than a seeing. Okay. And do you have a sense of how close you are to him in terms of feet away? Yeah, about two and a half feet away. Okay, perfect. All right. So from that, that proximity, just let him know you care about him and see how he reacts. Yeah, I reach out my hands and, uh, and now he has more of a shape. Um, still amorphous, hard to pick out details, but I know that we're holding hands and I can see that he's starting to smile, but he doesn't fully trust yet that, he, that it's safe to come home. That's right. And ask him more about that. Why doesn't he trust you? He's afraid of that that judge, that critic that was up in my throat. He's a, he's afraid of that, that part of me. And, uh, and that's why he doesn't, he doesn't want to come home. Okay. So does that make sense? Yeah. So let him know you don't expect him to come home until that part is transformed, hmm. but that's part of what we're, what we're doing with this. Yeah. He's, he says, uh, I trust you. Okay, good. He's trusting me to invite him when, when it's safe. Yeah. Okay. All right. So we've done a lot already. Mm. And you have the option to do one more step if you're up for it. Let's go. All right. So ask this boy where he's stuck in the past or what he wants you to know about what happened to him. And just... Uh, don't think again, just wait and see what comes to you. It's like, uh, it says it's six years old and, and uh, some, you know, one of the incidents, uh, I'm not really clear. I have some in my mind that might've been six, but there was such a shock to my, such a shock to my nervous system. It was almost, if he like wants me to see, there was almost like he got struck by lightning. And, uh, and that, I guess, kind of froze him and scared him. That's right. Yeah, and you don't have to give us details if you don't want, but just tell him to really let you get how shocking that was. Just everything he wants you to see, sense, and feel about that experience. Just tell him you're ready to really get it now. Yeah, I do. You know, uh, I'll tell her, I'll tell a brief story. So, um, this wasn't physical abuse. This was just emotional. This was, you know, my father struggled with, you know, different rage and he would express it kind of verbally and emotionally. And there was one particularly, 
a gnarly experience in a in a hotel room in New York, and that was the one that I had to do the most work healing. Um, and actually, it was you know twenty years ago I was working with a shaman out in uh, New Mexico. Obviously, very blessed to be on this path, and it was a um, I don't know what it was. It might have been Vilca, but it was a DMT snuff, and uh, I'd had no intention of going back anywhere it wasn't guided in that way but i went right back to that hotel room but i went and i was a you know i was 20 21 years old at that point so i was big and strong i was in college and i went back to that point and um but i was back there with my adult body and i confronted my father who was yelling at me and at that point i confronted him and you know but i was strong and I said, you know, try that now, try that now, dad, you know, and it was just like a reclaiming of my power. And I, so I, I kind of rewrote that situation in my mind with that psychedelic experience that I had. I rewrote it to a place where it wasn't scary anymore because I asserted my own power, like my, my willingness to show up. But what I haven't done until now is actually listen and and hear from that little boy how intense that was how shocking that was to my system right like i just kind of i kind of recoded it in my mind with this other like assertion of like i am strong you know and and this won't happen to me again but i didn't come with that compassionate no i see you and i and i feel you yeah so go back to him to the boy and ask him if now he does feel like you get it or if there's more he wants you to see or sense or feel. It's almost like he's been waiting to tell me for a long time how intense this was and, uh, and he really wants to like... <laughs> He wants to like remind me of like it was a flush that went all the way to the top of my head it went all the way through my organs like he's like like no you really gotta know this is this was this was deep this was really deep you know and uh so he's he's insistent on on letting me know how intense the experience was and i can so you're up for that i can feel that yeah yeah so tell him to really let you get it now just you can handle it you're ready you really want to feel it yeah it's a lot yeah it's, it's lot. okay it's okay to feel all this yeah yeah so tell them it's a lot and it's okay to let you finally get it I feel you, Aubrey. I feel you. I know. I know. I can feel myself um, holding him in an embrace and just letting him know, like, I know. I know. I know it was hard, and I know it hurt. And it's okay. It's okay. Like, uh, I got you. Yeah, actually, Aubrey... I'd like you to go into that scene and hold them there in that way. Just tell me when you're in there with them. Okay. How's he reacting to your being there? 
it's still hard, but he's uh he's really grateful and he's just, you know, saying, Don't leave me. You know, don't leave me. Don't leave me alone to go through this. What do you say to him? I got you and I'll never leave you. That's right. That's perfect. And how's that for him to hear? It it changes it changes everything, honestly. It it's still really hard, but but he knows that he's gonna be okay. You know, he knows the part of me that's going to him there is a part that's so much more powerful than the part of my father that was expressing itself. It's like he's being held by a dragon and there's a, you know, a, I don't know, a wolf there. It's just like, it's, there's, he knows that he's, he's held in a, he's held by, by something that can keep him safe. And ask now, if there's anything he wants you to do for him back there, or if he just wants to leave and come with you to a safe place. He just wants me to be, to be gentle, to wipe his tears, to hold his heart, to pet his head, to hold him when, to hold him when it's all over. Perfect. Let's do that. Okay. And now see if he'd like to leave that time and place with you so you can take care of him. Yeah, <laughs> he's ready to get out of there. Yeah, he's ready, yeah. So let's take him. He can come into the present with you or he could go to a fantasy place. It's really up to him, wherever he'd like to be. He wants to go play for a while. Yeah. He wants to go play for a while, and uh, there's a place that my um, there's a place that my mom set up for me, partly because you know my mom and my dad were divorced, and she set it up as like a place for me to go and in my own little fantasy world. It was up in the attic, and it was called Candyland, and it had uh, <laughs> had it was all carpeted and it was all cool, and it had pictures of different types of candy, like posters of candy up there on the walls, and. And uh, it's like he wants to go, like, play around in Candyland and just enjoy himself for a while. That's great. So let's take him to Candyland. All right. He's showing me all of the old He-Man figurines and the My Little Ponies. Yes, it's embarrassing. I love My Little Ponies. <laughs> I love them. I still love them, actually. They don't smell the same as they used to, but... I still have a great affinity for a good My so Little Pony. <laughs> but yeah, he's showing me all of his little toys and uh, he's just showing me the part of him that likes to play. And, and it's like we're reconnected now as, you know, it's, it's really beautiful, actually. It is beautiful. Very moving for me as well. And so tell him he can stay there. He never has to go back to that time. Mm. And you are going to be taking care of him now? Yeah. Yeah. And given that, see if he's ready to unload all these feelings and beliefs that he got from that experience. It's, uh, 
not completely. He's he's like uh, he's happy and he trusts me and he wants to continue to like develop the relationship. But um, but he's still he's still healing in a in a, a little bit of a way. It's like there's uh, yeah, yeah. That's fine. There's no pressure to do that. Mm-hmm. Although as an alternative, he could take it out of his body and put it in a box in case he needs mm. it. Just ask him if that would work for him. <laughs> yeah, I saw immediately. Um, there's a. It's actually a box that I have now, um, but it's a box that has. It's made up of um, cut and pressed ayahuasca uh, flowers, and it's formed into a box, and it has a little lid that opens. And I saw immediately that box, and he was immediately uh, eager to. to put it into that box okay fantastic so ask him how he feels without it now (laughs) he's he's exuberant and he wants to travel far beyond candyland now now he wants to go all over and explore in the forests and the and the land and he wants to like he wants to journey with me okay so tell him that that's uh that's good and if he wants to, before you start those journeys, you can invite now into his body qualities he'd like to have, and you can just see what comes in to him now. Courage and faith. That's great. Okay, so again, tell him you're going to stay connected to him this way. Mm-hmm. And then let's go back to the original part to the, the mm-hmm. and bring him in to see this boy now that he doesn't need that love so this this part doesn't have to do this job anymore and just see how it reacts to this it's like it it cracked open entirely and exposed uh like a hollow like a hollow interior and it's just it's empty now it's like empty of the of the gravity and the energy and the weight and it's like a it's like a walnut shell um and it's yeah it's it's open it's great and you can ask it what it'd like to do inside of you now instead of being so nasty well it it doesn't want to dissolve permanently it just it says like i'll be there if you need me but until then i'm off duty basically like i must rest yeah (laughs) yeah totally so let it know it can do that it can just rest Yeah. yeah okay all right, Aubrey, does that feel complete for now? It does. It does. Thank you so much for that. Thank you. <laughs> very, very <laughs> moving for me. I have, I have a very similar setup and have boys stuck in similar places. So it's uh, really, you worked for me as well. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was incredibly powerful and I think illustrative of how powerful your system really is. You know, I mean, this is 
this was one example of one specific thing, but you know, I know through your system, there's many different, many different parts and many different ways that you can apply this um, for the healing purposes. That's right. And I also think it's a, a good illustration of how uh, I, I know you've had a lot of psychedelic experiences and you know, that took about half an hour. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the reason for that is I think through those experiences, people access more and more of what I call self. And when you access a lot of self, you just naturally know how to do this. Yeah. So whereas in other systems, I would have had to get a lot of other parts to separate and they, they would have given me a hard time. You know, you had to ask a couple parts to separate in the beginning. Immediately, you felt at least neutral toward the critic and mm-hmm. interested in getting to know it. That's the beginning of self, what I call self with a capital S. Mm. And then as we got to know the critic and its positive intentions, you had a lot more compassion for it, appreciation, which is more so. And then when we got to the boy, I just got out of the way. You just knew exactly what to do for him. Mm. And, and that's, you were in a lot of self at that point. I love how you're using uh, using self in that way. I mean, a lot of people would probably use the nomenclature. You're using like capital S self. I would I would imagine that kind of idea because self is a challenging word because it's used so colloquially. So you have to differentiate. A lot of people would say true self, God self, higher self, or capital S self. Are those are all of those terms kind of similar for you? Is basically what you think people are getting at? Yeah, that is what what uh, I. I stumbled onto, I, you know, many systems will talk about this essence that, that's in us that has all these positive qualities. And I stumbled onto a, a way of accessing that very quickly, as you could see in, in the work we just did, for healing. Many systems that, that self is an observing presence, like mindfulness and other things like that. But what I found was it's not compassionate to just witness suffering beings parade by. Mm. When people really access a lot of self, they naturally want to go to these little boys or these, even the the big protector critics with love and compassion and get to know them and start to, and some of the, some of my amazement, uh, Nick alluded to this in the beginning, when I started to, to learn about MDMA and and some of the other psychedelics was people were spontaneously doing IFS under the with the medicine without any coaching from the facilitators whatsoever. That there's something about the medicine that disarmed protectors sort of automatically and your heart's fully open. And that's a big invitation to these exiled parts to come home. And they come in and people just start doing this healing naturally, and also to these big protectors, some of whom seem very scary. So that's my take on, and not just MDMA, I think, you know, uh, ketamine, you leave, but you come back and you've got a lot of self and you can do a lot of work. So yeah, each of them seems to access self in a different way. Yeah. Can you give a, a few other, because we obviously went deep on one example, but just uh, just a snapshot of some other protector exile relationships that, you know, so that people can see like, okay, maybe this is more along the vein 
of what's going on with me. You know, well, we worked with a critic, and that's pretty ubiquitous. Most everybody has one of those. Um, mm-hmm. But we use this with all kinds of, we use this with addictions, for example. And rather than vilifying the addictive part, we go to it in this curious way, ask what it's afraid would happen if it didn't keep you high all the time. In answering that question, usually we'll point to pain that it's trying to keep you higher than, and then we'll get permission to go to the pain and heal the pain. And now the addict part wants to do something entirely different, Mm. just like your critic did. So this applies to most any problem people have, actually. What do, what do you say to people who, you know, there's a, a, a lot of talk. I mean, relationships are one of the key cornerstones of our life. And there's, you know, a lot of talk about trauma bonding and ways in which relationships can be toxic because parts of you are trying to heal through parts of the other person. How does IFS support, you know, the awareness that allows you to understand when you're in a dyad with another person and how those parts are interacting? Yeah, so we we ask each member of the couple to do what we call a U-turn in their focus. So when couples come in and they're trauma bonded, most of them are focused on changing the other person so that they better meet their their exiles, basically. Mm-hmm. Each of us wants the, our partner to take care of our exiles. Mm. And don't we don't know that we can do that ourselves like you just found out you can take care of that boy you don't need a father figure in the outside world to do that for you so but most of us hook up with people because they resemble our father maybe and we're still desperately trying to get that approval from somebody who's like that father that would be a trauma bond and so as they so we can pry their focus apart and focus inside and do a U-turn. They'll find similar parts to what you found. And then they begin to do the healing. They become the primary caretaker of their own exiles, which then frees up their partner to be a secondary caretaker of those mm. exiles. And it clears up a lot of the distortions in the way you view the other person. And, and when they hurt you, you don't go back to that time you know, when your father yelled at you that way and feel all those feelings again uh, because you've unloaded them. And then that frees that, you know, that frees people up to choose whether they want to stay in this relationship or if it it is toxic. Because so many people in the trauma-bonded relationships uh, are hurting each other through the relationship. Yeah, it's this, it's almost this impulse to find, to find somebody who resembles your protector to actually externalize the work that you need to do inside by, you know, softening and redeeming that protector, you know, in another person. But fuck, it's so hard to change yourself, let alone try to change somebody else, you know, so it ends up being this fruitless task, like the, the healing has to be internal. Exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah, it's super, super valuable to think about all of the ways that this can be applied, because it's just, um, it's a map to start doing like some really significant and important, important healing work. Yeah. Yeah. It's exciting for me to have you experience it and, and feel this way. Yeah. 
Before, we're going to go to questions here in a moment. Is there anything else before we get to uh, get to questions about the, about the system, something that people might not be aware of, or anything you want to share uh, before we jump into questions? Oh, um, yeah, maybe real quick. Uh, for me, and this took me a long time, I've been on a long journey from agnosticism or even atheism to now I consider myself very spiritual. And it really just came from the constant interaction with the self, self with capital S of clients and, my, and getting to know my own self and coming then to the conclusion that self is isn't uh, limited to our our bodies. It's, it's something like a field or uh, like you know uh, uh, an ocean almost, and we're a drop of that ocean. Mm. And that psychedelics opens the door to be in that wave state of self without boundaries, the non-dual and then come back with the wisdom from that place. And that's also why, for example, things like ketamine are very useful for end of life because you realize this is this, this body keeps you quite isolated and, and separate from everybody. And there's this so much more out there, which allows for a, a much easier transition. So, mm. so all of that has become uh, increasingly important to me uh, it's moved from being just a form of psychotherapy to a kind of life practice, mm. a spiritual life practice. Yeah, it's, uh, <clears throat> I couldn't agree more, you know, that uh, the ever expansiveness of the, of the self, when you actually encounter the self, you try to carve a boundary from, okay, here's self and here's not self. Good luck. <laughs> you know, the self is inexorable with the great self, you know, like a, uh, I think there's a quote: "The sum total of the conscious minds in the in the universe equals one." <laughs> you know, like it's like we're all a piece of this, a piece of this giant, giant puzzle. And you, you've mentioned ketamine a few times, and I want to just share. You know, I've been on the the ceremonial plant medicine and psychedelic journey for 22 years now since a, a vision quest when I was 18, and one of the most profound. Um, medicines that I've encountered in the right set and setting. I actually put it, I have a dark room, a fully blacked out dark room. I had a great experience in the darkness retreat. Some amazing music from uh, John Hopkins and East Forest. I know East Forest is coming up later. Um, and then it's the combination of ketamine and cannabis has been probably one of the greatest teachers that I've encountered and really exponentially leveled up my healing and, and spiritual access. And the reason I think for that is that ketamine of course dissolves us into the greater the greater self but it typically dissociates us from our body it kind of leaves our body behind and then as you said we kind of come back into our body the cannabis actually brings the body it feels like it brings the body with you into the void and then all of a sudden you have the intelligence of the greater self interacting with the with the body and some immensely profound healings occur. You know, I could feel fascia moving on its own, my jaw readjusting, things happening where the body's like, oh, great. Finally, I'm getting access to the capital I intelligence <laughs> rather than the limited Aubrey brain. And now we're going to really fix some stuff. So um, that's been a really profound uh, 
healer and teacher for me. And I think as this field, you know, expands and and people explore new things, we'll discover these different technologies and how useful they are. All right. I think um, we're going to uh, jump into questions here. Question is, can you speak more about IFS and psychedelics? Do you do IFS therapy with small doses or do you do IFS after large doses? What do you do differently than in normal IFS therapy while using psychedelics? Yeah, you know, it depends on the medicine, I think. Um, My experience with ketamine, for example, is that large doses do take you into that ocean. And then as you come back, you're just much more open to doing a lot of work. And so we can do the kind of work that that you and I just did. Um, I typically don't need psychedelics because we can do something like what we just did without it. So for me, it's when uh, when a client is really stuck that I'll add, I'll give that a try. And, and typically we can get to an exile that we weren't able to get to before uh, with the with the medicine, and so from one of my worries about this is that the medicine itself is going to be seen as the big uh, solution, just like in Western medicine, pharma- pharmaceuticals are seen as the the thing, rather than what you do with the medicine, and so that's part of what I want to do is bring this kind of uh, process for healing once you take the medicine. And in terms of dosage, I, I haven't had enough experience to you know, say for sure. I think smaller doses, you do stay in your body and you do access more self and you can do a lot of work that way. Um, and what do I do different? I don't really do anything different except that we can do more because there's more mm-hmm. self present. Mm-hmm. Great. Well answered. Yeah, I think, you know, just to comment while we wait for another question to come up, just to comment on what you're saying, you know, you talk to Rick, you talk to Rick Doblin, which I do often. Um, and he's makes it very clear that what we're talking about is MDMA assisted psychotherapy, right? Like, this is not just give somebody MDMA and send them home. You know, it's it's the process itself, and you cannot separate those two medicines and have the treatment be effective in the way that it's effective. Like they need to be conjoined, and uh, obviously there can be healings alone with medicine, of course. But what we're talking about from the research we've done in the clinical setting is the real power comes from the combination of medicine plus therapy. The medicine opening you to allow the therapy to just go deeper. Yeah, Rick has been an amazingly great shepherd of this movement, and uh, I'm, I'm meeting with him next week, actually, and uh, like he's one of my big heroes because he has really uh, driven home that message. It's so important. Yeah, absolutely. Next question. The richness of seeing this work really happen versus you two talking about the work is such a gift. Can you speak to the importance of having an experience of one's parts versus simply understanding the parts? 
Uh, well, Avi, maybe you could start with that. What was it like to experience it rather than talk about it? <laughs> it's the difference between uh, knowledge with a K and gnosis with a G, right? Like you could describe to somebody who was in the Amazon or, you know, sub-Saharan Africa, you could describe like an avocado. Be like, all right, so it's got this rough skin and inside it's got this pink, I mean, it's got this green, it's soft and it's it's fatty and it's creamy and uh, it's a big seed. And they're like, I get it. I think I get it. And they could ask a couple questions about it. And then you like serve them guacamole and they're like, holy shit, now I get it. Now I get it. You know, and I, I think this is, this is the reality with, with all of these different things. Like when we actually know something with the G, we have that gnosis, that knowledge, which is eating the avocado. That's the only way we actually really know. Um, and it's helpful to, to see it happen, but it's even more helpful to have it happen, you know? And, and that's also where, you know, I have a, a, a deep criticism of a lot of the people who will talk about psychedelics and have never done psychedelics. You know, it could be a, a, even an experienced meditator, all, all the respect in the world to the experienced meditator. But if you're going to denigrate psychedelic medicine, probably do psychedelic medicine <laughs> before you before you try to talk about it, you know? And so ultimately, I, I really trust the gnosis over the knowledge, you know, all the way. Yeah, I do too. It, it's so hard for people to get IFS. And so whenever I present, I'll usually do a very brief exercise with the whole group where they just focus on a part, ask some questions. And, and then they, the rest of the presentation, they get much more deeply. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. All right. We have uh, time for at least one more question here. When working with ketamine, would you recommend that the client ask questions to their self or parts before taking the medicine, while on the medicine, or after ketamine has worn off? Yeah, again, I think it depends on the dose. Um, because if you take a big dose, you're not even here to answer questions. But uh, one of the things I want to bring to the psychedelic work is in pre-sessions, having the facilitator ask the client's protectors if they really give permission to do this. And if they have fears about doing this, doing the medicine. And what kind of fears do they have? And then going over all of their fears to get permission to do it. Because if you don't do that, people can, I mean, some, some protectors can totally, you know, make it so you don't even experience anything. Mm. And other protectors, when you kind of go into the void, are going to freak out because they think you've totally lost who you are and your identity. And... And then there are, and I said earlier, when you access that much sub, you're going to invite all kinds of parts. And sometimes they're very negative and scary ones. And so you, you need to have formed a relationship with the protectors before you, you have the person go on the journey. And then during the journey, I think IFS offer, uh, offers, uh, begin a non-pathologizing map so that if a person seems to be having a panic attack, you don't, as a facilitator, get scared. You think, oh, okay, there's this really scared exile that's just come in. Let me help it get to know it and calm it down and, and let it know it's safe and mm -hmm. welcome it. You know, it's really great that it broke out and is here. 
rather than, oh, my client's having a panic attack. I better, because mm. when so much of the, the person's experience is dependent on the state of the facilitator. And so the facilitator can hold a lot it's of self. It's all part of the shared self, right? Totally. Like you're in the shared field. Exactly. So if the facilitator is holding a lot of self energy, then that's going to have a big impact on how much self actually the the subject has. So there's, there's a lot of applications like that. Yeah. Uh, this is kind of a, a deep and heavy topic to cover right here at the close, but something you said um, drew this question out. For a lot of people who've had significant trauma, whether it's some kind of sexual trauma in particular or or any kind of serious abusive trauma, their recollection of it is is often nil. And a lot of times in these medicine journeys, whether it's uh, you know, any type of journey, particularly in a lot of the MDMA assisted psychotherapy journeys, a lot of these will come up, but sometimes in ayahuasca journeys, sometimes in different journeys, these memories will come up. Is it a function of a protector to wall off the actual access and memory of these? And, and how do you work with that particular type of protector? Yeah, so that, that's a lot of our work is um, asking protectors who have formed these walls inside. I mean, often they, they appear to the client like a wall. And we'll talk to the wall. Ask the wall what it's afraid would happen if it lets you open the door. Mm. And then there are about nine common fears these protectors have of what's going to happen. One of them is you'll be overwhelmed. Uh, another is you'll think you'll see things that I don't want you to see about what happened to you. Uh, but there's a whole list of different fears that are, they have. And we now have evolved ways to address each of those fears. Because uh, we don't open those doors without the permission of the protector. It's, it's just mm. try to be an ecologically sensitive, you know, person in somebody's delicate ecosystem. Yeah. Uh, and so it's up to us to be convincing. I'm, I'm what I call a, a hope merchant. I'm selling hope to hopeless systems that we can open the door and Aubrey can handle all that stuff. Aubrey's not six years old anymore. He can he can deal with this, and and I'm going to be right there with him the whole time, and it's all going to be good. All we need, and, and once you do let us open the door, you're going to be freed up to do some other job. You don't have to be this wall that sucks. Right, right. So it's it's just a big uh, package like that. It, there's actually, in my experience, for people who have these walls and these things, these protectors that are always online, there's an immense amount of energy that's being utilized and people I've noticed that people will experience what you could pathologize as chronic fatigue or something like that and try to diagnose like that but really it's just they have all of this psychic energy applied towards forming the wall form the wall form the wall watch out for this but in the, you start to let these go then so much more life force energy is freed up uh, in your life all right we are getting wrapped up. This is like at the Oscars where the music starts playing and it's it's time to get off the stage. Uh, final comment. I feel honored that we were able to go on that journey together. Thank you, Aubrey and Dick. Amazing. It was like the space became sacred.
And I just want to say thank you for everybody for uh, for holding space for me while I went through that journey. And of course, thank you to you, Dick, for uh, masterfully taking me through a legitimate healing process. That was really beautiful. And thank you, Aubrey, for the courage to do this in front of your audience and this audience. And uh, I, I, it was very moving for me as well. I'm really grateful. And let's have uh, let's have some more conversations. I feel like we're just getting started. Same here. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Thank you so much for tuning into this podcast with Dr. Richard Schwartz. Make sure you check out the newest poem that I released on Instagram the day that this podcast released and also will be featured on my YouTube channel. It's a deep and potent message, a loving message from Mother Earth to all of us. So please check it out.